Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 25. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. God is the one who's manipulating and puppeting the affairs of men because God is in control and all of the things that we see that are happening in the world today are only being maneuvered by God to lead us to the expected end, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. All of these things, well, God's in control. So this guy named Caesar Nero, he was awful. He was awful toward Christians. He hated Christians. As a matter of fact, it's recorded in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if we have a copy in the bookstore, but you might want to pick one up if you have not. He would take Christians, our brothers and sisters, and dip them in hot wax and dip them in tar. And he would strategically place them in his gardens. And he would light them on fire. And he would nakedly ride on his chariot. And, and he'd riding on his chariot and he's screaming, You said you were the light of the world, then be the light of the world. As our brothers and sisters, six million of them plus were persecuted under the reign of this man, Nero. And Paul says, pray for him. Pray for him. Paul says, pray that you might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Pray for the government. Don't throw it out. Don't give up. You pray for the government. And not only should you not throw it out and don't give up, but the Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. And we are the light of the world. Somebody should say amen. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we need to be salt. What does salt do? Salt preserves. I really believe this with all my heart. The peace that you are now experiencing on this earth. We have that peace because Christians are still on the earth. People go, oh, well, the world is terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. We still have a a sense of peace. I mean, I locked my door last night, and I woke up this morning. My door was still locked, and the window wasn't broken. We were safe. We still have a level of peace, and we have that peace because Christians are on the earth. But the Bible teaches that when the salt is removed and the light is removed, then the tribulation begins. I mean this in the best way. And then all hell will really break loose. Read your Bible. So we're to be light wherever we are. It reminds me of the pastor, the Reverend Joe Wright, who was asked to have a prayer during the Kansas Senate. And perhaps you heard this. And he was asked to have a prayer 
and to open in a prayer for the Kansas uh, Senate. And everyone was expecting, you know, the normal generalities in, in the prayer. But this, listen close, is what Reverend Joe Wright began to pray. And this is what they heard. He said, Heavenly Father, and this is true. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word, and we've called it pluralism. We've worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We've rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and we call it building self-esteem. We've abused power and we called it politics. We coveted our neighbor's possessions and we called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and we've called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers for, and we've called it enlightenment. Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts today. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. And guide and bless these men and women who have been sent to direct us to the center of your will and to openly ask these things in the name of your son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is that awesome or what? That is awesome. And I can imagine when they heard that, they were like, Because we're called to be Saul. We're called to be light. We're called to be a witness. And Paul, at this point, was salt and light and a witness. And Paul says in our text, I am going to exercise my Roman right to appeal to Caesar. And when Festus heard that, he said, I've got to let you exercise your right to go to Caesar in verse 12. So to Caesar you shall go. Notice what happens now in verse 13. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice. Now I'm going to tell you something about her. She's something else. This woman's something else. I'll tell you about it in a minute. After some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying... There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. And to them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day, I sat on the judgment seat and I commanded the man to be brought in. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul in verse 21 appeared, appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept 
till I could send him to Caesar. Stop right there. Listen. Verse 13, give me your attention, is a turning point in the book of Acts. Here in verse 13, Paul is at the point where the die is cast and the rest of the book of Acts takes the tone or the flavor from this appeal to Caesar. And it sets the stage for the rest of the book and actually the rest of Paul's life. So notice in verse 13, it tells us after some days, how many days? Well, we don't know. But King Agrippa, the Bible tells us, and Bernice came to Caesarea to meet or to welcome or to salute Festus. Now, listen close. This King Agrippa, he is King Agrippa II. He is the son of King Agrippa I. And that was deep, wasn't it? <laughs> I worked all week on that one. It was heavy. The second is after the first. You got it? Say amen. All right. He's the son of King Agrippa I. And, and get this. He is the great-grandson of Herod, the one who tried to kill the baby Jesus. Very interesting. King Agrippa II's great-uncle was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. King Agrippa's father is the one who ordered the execution of James and had Peter put in prison, but Peter got out. He was actually going to kill Peter as well. Acts chapter 12, you read that in your own time. So Agrippa II was the last of the Herods. Now understand something. Herod is not a name, it's a title. Herod is a title of a dynasty. It's not a name, it's a title. This King Agrippa or Herod King Agrippa is the last of the Herods. And so King Agrippa comes to pay a call on Festus and he came with Bernice, which is just good politics what's going on here. Now, as I told you, give me your attention, Bernice is very interesting. If you were with us last week... There was a lady we met, and you remember her name was Drusilla. Remember her? We talked about her last week, and, and she was more like Bridezilla because she was, um, she was just crazy. I mean, she got married and had several husbands, and she was just kind of nuts. And we talked about that last week. Well, and she married at the age of 16. Remember that? Well, Drusilla, her sister is Bernice. Bernice is the sister of Drusilla, and get this, Bernice married, are you listening? She married an emperor by the name of Marcus by the age of 13, and it was just shortly after that that her marriage didn't last, and then she married her uncle, Herod, and then she didn't like him, so she left him, and she came to live with King Agrippa II, who is her brother, can we say dysfunctional family? <laughs> this is her brother. And then she leaves and she marries a man named Polema, who was the king of Cilicia. And she didn't get along with him. So she comes back to her brother. And that's where we pick her up here in Acts chapter 25. Now, when you fast forward through history, you see that Bernice leaves her brother and becomes the mistress for Vespasian. 
She leaves him for a man named Tassius, and then she leaves Tassius for his son, Titus. And then she passes off the scene, and I'm sure all of the husbands form a support group, ex-husbands, <laughs> ex-husbands for Bernice. I mean, this, this, she's kind of crazy. So now in verse 14 in our Bibles, Festus laid Paul's case out before the king, and he rehearses the whole situation. And he says, King, the chief priest and the elders asked me to make a judgment against Paul. And I told them that this is outside of our regular practice to judge a man before he can meet his accusers face to face and have an opportunity to answer for himself. And so I decided to hear what was going on. And I had Paul brought in in verse 17. But when the accusers showed up, they didn't have any real accusations. And he says, what I could ascertain or what I could get from them is that they had some questions about their own religion, about Jesus who had died, whom Paul said was alive. And then in verse 20, because he doubted these things, he asked Paul, would he be willing to go to Jerusalem to be judged? And Festus said, King Agrippa, he appealed and he wants to go to Caesar. Now listen to me closely here because Festus is sharing these things because Festus is in a real pickle. He's in a bad situation here because he knows that they don't have any real accusations against Paul. And yet these trials have been going on for two years. Now, Paul is appealing to Caesar, and when he gets to Caesar's court and Caesar hears that there's nothing valid or provable, Caesar is going to say, why couldn't Festus deal with it? And Festus is then going to look incompetent and as if he cannot do the job and it's over his head. So Festus is telling Agrippa, hoping that Agrippa will help him find something out about what's going on to save his job. You understand? Say amen. That's the only reason here. He's trying to save his own neck. Now notice what happens in verse 22. Notice then Agrippa in verse 22. You're there? Say amen. amen. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. And so the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with, notice this here, great pomp. Did you know that word pomp was in the Bible? Great pomp. I like that word. So when they had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him in verse 26. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me in verse 27, unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Stop right there before you close your Bible. Notice Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear him tomorrow. Maybe I can find a reason that you can accuse him. We can accuse him. And then the next day, 
Agrippa and Bernice come, the Bible tells us, with great pomp. I like that. You know, someone once said, here we have pomp mixed with bad circumstance. And that's very, very true. They're all dressed up. Get the scene in your mind's eye. They're all dressed up. They've got on their purple robes and their royal robes and they've got their their crowns on and they're all dressed up and and, and they, they come in with great pomp. Lots of music, great pomp, great pageantry. And then walks in this little Jewish tent maker. History tells us that Paul was a short man, bald head, hooked nose, runny eyes, bowed legs. Comes this little guy and he comes walking in amidst all of their pomp. He walks into the amphitheater. Now, listen, when we take our trips to Israel, we always go to this amphitheater located in Caesarea. It is beautiful. You remember? Remember, Joe? It's the first place we went to the amphitheater in Caesarea. And it is beautiful. It seats probably about two or three thousand people. The amphitheater seats kind of go this way and, and go around this way. And right in front of you as you're just sitting right in front of you is the Mediterranean. And it is beautiful. I've been there, been to Israel five times and we go every single time. It's one of the stops that we certainly always make. It's in this amphitheater that we'll go there. and We'll sit and have a Bible study around Acts 24, 25 around here. And, and this is where Paul walked walked into, into this amphitheater, and all of the judges are there with their royal robes on, and here comes Paul. Remember, he's been in prison, in jail for about two years now, so his clothes is probably tattered, and, and his clothes are raggedy, and so he walks in and probably chains, and maybe his hands were chained, and, he, and he's standing there, bald-headed, eyes running from some infection maybe he got from the region of Galatia, and, and he's hook nose and bow legs, and he just walks in and stands among the people, and God is going to give him an awesome, awesome testimony, an awesome opportunity, and God gives him, listen, give me your attention, gives him an awesome opportunity. Get this, Paul had been preaching the gospel. He's on his third missionary journey, and now he finds himself in jail. And here, I think God has given him a rest. God says, Paul, hey, I tell you what, you've done a lot of work. You've traveled a lot. What I'm going to do is I'm going to gather the whole Roman capital into the amphitheater, and you'll get to share the gospel with all of them at one time. Isn't God awesome? And here we have, are you getting this? We have this little tiny guy sharing the gospel with all of these important people. And you know what that tells me? God takes the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. And God takes the the small things and he does something big with it. What do you mean? Take Bethlehem, for example. Do you know the little town of Bethlehem is the most well-known village of among all people in all of the world, all people in all of the world know of this small little insignificant town called Bethlehem. God takes really small stuff and does big stuff with it. Somebody say amen. I remember when I first took my first trip to Israel, I was with 50 Calvary Chapel pastors. 
Don't travel with 50 Calvary Chapel pastors. And we pull into the little town of Bethlehem. And when we got in, we're on our tour bus and we got in and I'm, you know, I'm, we, we get into the, get into the town and you know, I'm, this is my first time in Israel. I'm telling you, my eyes were like this big. I couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking, you know, we get into Bethlehem, you know, it's kind of really anticlimactic actually, because I'm thinking when we get there, you know, we're going to see like goats and, and cows and Mary and Joseph walking by and. I'm looking for the star, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, you know, I'm just like feeling this, you know, I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to, the angels are going to be like saying glory to God, the highest we're going to hear. And, and, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm all into this, man. And we get to Bethlehem and they're having this war between, you know, the the Arabs and the Jews to determine who's going to occupy this little tiny city called Bethlehem. They're having this fight. So we pull in on our tour bus. And I think I might have told you this story. We pull in on our tour bus and there's a sniper up on the roof and they're like in the midst of a war. And here comes our tour bus, you know. And I'm just like, you know, and we're just driving right through. And there's a sniper up on the roof and the bus. Is, well, we have to turn around, pastors. We're going to have to turn around. One of the Calvary pastors, he, he goes, look, a sniper up on the roof. Hit the floor. Hit the floor. And I said, no, take pictures. Take pictures. You know, and I start taking pictures. And then later on, they said, did you get a picture of that? I said, yeah. Can I get a picture? Yeah, it'll cost you $50. That's all you pastors, a bunch of girly men. But my first trip to Israel, and you've got this little tiny, and it's still like a little tiny city. It's not really well kept, to tell you the truth. It's, it's actually pretty worn down, but it's in that little tiny city that God used to do a very mighty work and, and change the whole world. God uses small things to do big things, ordinary things to do something extraordinary. Isn't that our God, saints? And I love that. And here we see God is using this very little guy, Paul, and he's giving him now an opportunity to share the gospel with the entire Roman Empire. And we want to notice as I come in for a landing, we want to notice that Paul is standing before these men and he is standing there unjustly accused. We've already looked at it. It's in verse seven. They made complaints against him, which they could not prove. And then again, in verse 18, they brought no accusations against him of such things as I suppose. So here we have Paul. Are you listening? Standing before this, these, this court and on trial unjustly. He hasn't done anything. Listen, Paul's not the first one. He certainly won't be the last. Oh, you know, your Bible's talking about being accused unjustly. Joseph was betrayed and hated and slandered and sold into slavery by his brothers. And they accused him of a crime that he didn't commit. And they imprisoned him and he was forgotten. Remember Daniel? Daniel was treated unfairly and thrown into the lion's den. And then, of course, who can forget Jesus, the son of God, was accused unjustly. As the Bible tells us that he was treated unfairly, he was beaten, he suffered, he bled, he died, he was crucified. All 
unjustly. And don't you know, if it was good enough for Jesus, listen to me. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's going to have to be good enough for us. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, you know, that's a promise of God. Well, we like the promises of God. We just don't like that one. I don't know about you, but I don't get all warm fuzzies when I think, oh, I'm going to suffer for Jesus. Oh, yes. Praise God. That's not one of those promises you put on your refrigerator. Is it? It's not one of those promises you have like on the back of your toilet in your in your little master bed. Was that too much information? It was like you got the to- the promise box on the in the bathroom. I don't know. Maybe we just got one. We have one. But it's not one of those promises you look at every day and you go, this is a promise from God that I'm going to suffer. We don't want to admit that this is a promise that we will be treated unjustly. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you as well. So we will be treated unjustly. But we also have the promise of God that says that if God be for us, then Who can be against us? We also have the promise of God that says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Listen, the Bible does not say no weapon will be formed against you. It says that that weapon that is formed against you shall not. Don't you know? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. We have the promise of God. You don't want to miss next week. Chapter 26, you read ahead in your own time. You'll see it's the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. As well, listen, we're going to meet a man next week who almost became a Christian. Did you think it could happen? Read ahead. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.